guys and girls, my name is Gray and this is another episode of the Gray Av Podcast. And today is kind of a special day. We make our 50th episode. So this is episode number 50. And adding to that, we have an exciting guest, somebody that I've been always looking forward to have on the podcast. And some of you might know from listening to the very some of the early podcasts when I started. And it just happened that it happened. Uh, and the way it actually came together to happen would make its own podcast episode, just to explain that, which I'll probably do at one point. But our guest today is Kadleko Mapai, who is the co-founder and CEO of Yoko. And uh, for some of you who are in South Africa might be familiar with Yoko, and some of you might not, obviously, if you're not in South Africa especially, these guys are helping small businesses to accept card payments and just to give you some context on that um, small business enterprises drives 50% of South Africa's GDP but the card payments uh, that the banks came up with kind of were meant to serve the bigger businesses and these guys came in to help the small businesses and they're doing really well at it so I was always curious, it's one of the exciting startups in South Africa right now. So I, I always wanted to speak to Katleko and it happened. So we went through the whole story on how they got started, to launching, to actually reaching as many people as they reaching now and growing, as well as his personal story on how he got started, obviously. And uh, just off the top of my head, one of the things that I learned, or a few things I learned from Katleko, uh, long-term thinking uh, he seems to be a very long-term thinker he thinks kind of ahead of time a little bit what will things look like um, say two years from now or even longer than that which is a I think it's a very good trait for uh, any kind of person especially entrepreneurs out there and we covered some of his philosophies and leadership and the culture that they have or they're always building at Yoko and recruiting. What are the things that they look for at Yoko? What are the traits and qualities that make them hire someone or not to hire someone? And how do they assess to find those things in the candidates? And of course, we talked about routine. Uh, which is a subject that I like to cover with uh, different type of people on this podcast. But he doesn't seem to keep any kind of, to follow any kind of daily routine. And his reasons about that are very fascinating. So I hope you can pick up something from that as well. So without further ado, don't want to waste anyone's time. Uh, enjoy my podcast with Katleko. And also... Uh, there's one thing that I, uh, I've starting, I'm starting to do, whereas before I do an interview with a guest, uh, I will be sending emails to my subscribers to ask uh, what kind of questions would you like to ask. Like previously, I would have probably done that with Katlego. Say, look, next week I'm having a podcast with Katlego. Uh, what would you like to ask him. So I'll be doing that uh, through my email list. So if you want to be part of the list to be able to ask questions to all the guests that I have on the podcast or to have some kind of input, just make sure you subscribe through the website and Donzo, you'll be in my email list. Other than that, stay awesome and enjoy my podcast with Katleko. 
Um, so, in a simple sense, um, Yoko is an easy way uh, for uh, small businesses, um, whether it's mom and pops or you know uh, businesses that hire a few people, um, to to accept card payments. Um, we have a Ponesel application that works on Android or iOS. And then uh, we have uh, two mobile card readers, so an option of two card readers uh, that uh, connect to your phone via Bluetooth. And um, the combination of the two things uh, allows you to accept card payments easily, whether it's at the store or on the go. Um, and the point of sale application um, gives you a taste of insights uh, into your business. Um, We've also gone beyond payments. Uh, we have a business portal. You can see some analytics uh, and some trends within your business. Um, in terms of the sort of broader value proposition, I think what really sets us apart is the speed at which you can get the the device and the accessibility of it. Right. So you know, you go online, you could ask your today. Um, you know, you literally spend less than ten minutes signing up, picking a reader. Um, you know, we do all the checks in the background, uh, no paperwork, and yeah, within two to three days, you have a machine and you can start transacting. Um, nobody could really claim that uh, in the past. We've really removed all the barriers and made it as simple as possible. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, just also the model. Um, so we don't charge any monthly fees. You, you buy the card reader once off. Um, we have a flat transaction fee. It sort of drops as you grow uh, automatically, which is quite nice. Um, and then I guess to wrap it all up, uh, it's just a great experience. Um, you know, we have a proactive support model. So if something's going wrong, um, we actually call you first uh, because our data tells us, uh, which has been quite great. I think, you know, typically, um, you know, a company builds a product, they give it, they sell it, right? Um, and they sort of leave you to your own devices. But because we don't take a fixed monthly fee, um, so we're incentivized to ensure that uh, our merchants are growing and are doing well and they're transacting. Right. And that's kind of changed the way we relate to them. Right. Yeah. That's, I think, a precise explanation. Cool. So it's, uh, it's basically the same as we, we use the ATM machines, well, not ATM machines, but like the card readers at the merchants. Correct. So it just made the whole process quite uh, simplified. Simplified, easy to use, um, you know, uh, no fixed costs. And I think the important thing to note here is that for the consumers at the merchant, there's no change in behavior. Um, so, you know, when it comes to payments, we've realized and, you know, history tells us that whenever something has to be adopted or there has to be a change in consumer behavior, um, the adoption becomes quite niche. Um, so we thought it was really important, particularly in South Africa, where you have sort of a 75% uh, card penetration rate amongst adult uh, South Africans, um, that you know these very consumers didn't have to change behavior when they were interacting with their merchants. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, it sounds obvious to do that, you know, uh, keeping in mind that we, we already had card readings, but why was the process so complicated? Was it like a regulatory thing or why was it has it never been seen like this before? Um, I guess everything has its origins, right? And you know, the traditional banking institutions used to offer card machines, they also used to issue card as, as they do. Yeah. Um, and you know that that comes with all all, all, all all the levels of institution, right? So um, you know with with the the card machines that these institutes uh, offer you can only get them on a sort of rental you never own the machine right 
so you can only get them on a rental basis per month and in that sense like you know you there was a credit check that needed to happen in order for that for you to get the machine so that added like quite a few layers um, and then you know to protect themselves uh, against risk they made sort of the the, the steps um, and the, um, the requirements quite onerous which were quite sort of discriminatory to, to smaller businesses or even to startups right you need a trading history and all the like and then everything thank you very much um, everything was also predicated on a salesman coming to see you yeah. um, which in itself has its own costs and whenever you have a scenario like that a salesperson is always going to prioritize a larger business right yes. uh, predictable volumes all this type of stuff um, so I guess we sort of flipped all these things on their head. Um, we we looked at the mobile industry uh, where you know a couple of us are from, um, and we said you know you can walk into a, a, a Vodacom or an MTN um, and you know you can pick a mobile phone and you know ask for a contract and you know within sort of 45, 30 to forty five minutes you're approved and you can take it and you can walk out. Yes. Why can't the same principle uh, apply to to accepting card payments and that was our paradigm right? right and that helped us to design around that paradigm and even like you know sort of overshoot on on, on, on those um, on those requirements yeah right so, okay so now that's you know, I, I guess that's the problem that you're solving yes using the strategy but like how did the initial idea came through um, so you know these things, right? It's, it's never just one thing. Yeah. Um, I think you know we're four founders in the business. Um, you know, I'm the CEO. Uh, this Lungi's uh, our CTO. Yeah. Um, you know, we we knew each other from childhood. We reconnected at uh, university, University mm -hmm. of Cape Town, and then this call wasn't. Um, we used to work at the same uh, consultancy or telecoms advisory firm, um, and then this Bradley Watrous, um, who's our CFO. And um, we uh, met at a German incubator for online startups, uh, Rocket Internet. So, you know, it's interesting. We actually came together as, uh, as friends and as a team, and then we started looking at different business models. And, and then the idea for this business model came from the US, uh, so Square, um, a company founded by Jack Dorsey, uh, yeah. co-founder of Twitter, um, sort of pioneered this uh, mobile acceptance uh, space. Um, I had seen it uh, in 2011 during one of my annual trips. I used to live in the Bay Area as a kid. Yeah. And um, I saw it again um, in, in 2012, but it, the technology had really uh, proliferated, right? Yeah. You know, taxis, uh, restaurants, and, and all these things. Um, but it wasn't until um, I uh, was, my, was with my best friend, uh, and we walked into a sort of hole-in-the-wall barbecue eatery, Really, nothing on the countertop, no till. Um, Where in the day or here? In in San Francisco, yeah. Okay. And um, you know, this uh, African American lady brings out the food and asks my friend how he wanted to pay. Um, and I was confused by the question. I assumed it was a cash on you yeah. place, right? Um, and uh, my friend said he wanted to pay by card. And uh, the lady took out her Android uh, device. Uh, you know, stuck in the square dongle, uh, took his card, uh, swiped it, uh, he signed with his finger, and then just the light bulbs just started going off in my head, right? So I'd, I'd seen the technology, I'd seen it grow, yeah. but I, it was the first time I really understood its impact. So, you know, here was a business with a good product, nothing much else. Um, now they were able to accept a digital payment, um, they were able to accept a larger basket size. I don't right. think my friend was carrying $40 of cash in his pocket. 
And, um, you know, the lady was running uh, her business from her phone. Um, and it all just clicked. And then, yeah, I think after that, the, accept- the, the uh, obsession started to grow. We had the team. We had the context. The timing was right. And uh, we went for it. Uh, you know, we started looking at this really um, sort of uh, deeply towards the end of 2012. It took us another two years to get to market. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. Impressive. Thank you. Uh, no. When I saw it, I was like... And it just made sense to me, especially when you consider even the crime rate here, you know, mm-hmm. the small nation. So yes. yeah, this is pretty much a smart idea. Yeah. So when I saw it, I think a few years ago, like it felt like we you know one of those uh, technologies that just come for a moment and they go. So right. Eventually, I was like, okay, this thing keeps on growing and it's everywhere now. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite cool. But Thank like, you. How did you move? Well, I'm just curious to know exactly the process of how. Okay, you're in a store. Yeah, it makes sense to you. Yeah. This is what you would want to do. Uh, that's a problem that you want to solve and bring it down to South Africa. Yes. But like, what was the first thing that you did like to actually say, let's start a company and what was the process there? Yeah, so it was interesting. Um, uh, the, I was a management consultant. I was, I was working you know, across the continent in, in different markets. Um, and uh, just kind of the, the combination of the international firm uh, I was working uh, for and these high growth markets just kind of uh, awoke this entrepreneurial spirit right yeah. which I didn't know was there to be frank um, and then uh, then sort of came this decision to, to, to get into entrepreneurship and call uh, our chief business officer and I made the decision together um, Lungi had always been an entrepreneur uh, you know he started one of the world's first uh, mobile voice over IP uh, that's right yeah. right so you know that was always then he just exited this company and you know Bradley and I had just met in this entrepreneurial context at Rocket Internet so all of a sudden here are these four guys who know each other with the complementary skills yeah. that were looking for a business model um, and you know after Rocket the intention was to start a company uh, Rocket was really seen as a segue from you know sort of the corporate consulting world into, into entrepreneurship right. um, and so that was kind of step one, right? The, the intent was there, um, there was a desire, um, and then, you know, the kind of the, the business model almost found us, right? Um, we looked at other things. Uh, we were going to start a wine bar or so. Uh, but it just came back and it really seemed to complement our skills. And then, um, yeah, and then the, the just sort of taking this concept or this desire into something real, um, it's just, I see it as like a set of like sort of very small steps, right? Um, but I guess the crescendo was um, sort of initially thinking we would partner with a European uh, uh, or Berlin-based um, uh, MPOS player called SumUp to bring SumUp to South Africa um, and uh, to sort of that being a possibility. Um, and we really took that down the line and then one day deciding like, hold on, actually, we can do this ourselves. Like, what are we afraid of? Um, and then we, we took that step um, and then the craziness really started because when we examined uh, the landscape, uh, we basically figured out that if we didn't focus on cracking the access problem, right. uh, we wouldn't be solving any problem, right? So we first thought it was a sort of a technology, you know, there's a new technology, it's going to make things more cost effective, and that's kind of what we're solving for. But ultimately, we realized that it was actually access that we were solving for, and that wasn't primarily being driven by cost was actually being driven by the rules that sort of determine who could and could not get a card machine. 
and we're like, well, we need to have control over the, that, that gateway and, yeah. and those rules. Um, and yeah, at that point, um, sort of after consulting, we knew that we needed to get what is known as an aggregation uh, license. Uh, it's basically a license that allows us to contract directly with our merchants. Right. So that's actually that's something that sets us apart. Um, we're the first startup in the country to be given uh, that type of a license. It took a year to get, so we moved up to Johannesburg yeah. uh, to lobby one of the, the, the six uh, card acquiring banks to do that, the smallest. And um, we, we got that, and that's at the core of, of Yoko. Um, you know, it took us a year to get it, um, but after that, we were able to build uh, the company and our operating model around this flexibility that we could control who can come on and off the platform. And the, our ability to sign up a merchant in less than 10 minutes is linked back to this license, right? And the fact that we control that experience. And there isn't an institution that's determining who can come on and off our platform. Um, so once again, these are like all very like uh, long steps. Um, and I guess at the core of it is this uh, long-term thinking, right? So we think uh, very, very long-term. Um, you know, we could never benefit from instant gratification. There was no MVP in our, in our, in our, in our, in our business. Um, and as a result, uh, we think of this business in very long horizons. And when you do that, you can, the decisions you make, right? Like, so taking a year to get a license so that you con- can contract with your merchants doesn't seem that bad because you know, that one year you compare it to the next 10 or 20 years and you're like, well, it's completely worth it, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that sets us apart. You know, even right now, um, you know, the, the, the planning that we're doing is, once again, looking at very long horizons and looking at the future. Um, and uh, it's important that you do that, otherwise you're not going to be able to compete over the long term. Right. Cool. So, what was the reaction uh, from the uh, like the merchants, for example, who couldn't probably previously get access to the card machines to do those transactions. It was cool. I mean, you know, it was interesting. Um, when we first started looking at this, uh, first of all, there was no word uh, like fintech. And number two, such a foreign concept. So, like, you know, we had to spend almost sort of the first half an hour of every meeting explaining what this was, right? Right. And then um, uh, what happened between sort of those early days and when we actually went to market was a bunch of other players launched, right? So uh, it was the NetBank Pocket Pause, which uh, launched in early 2013. Um, and then you had the Apps of Pebble, which launched later that year. Um, and then the following year, you had um, uh, Ikoka, ZipZap. So all these guys came. Um, and obviously, that made us quite nervous. But Interestingly enough, uh, you said Snap Scam, right? Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, all of a sudden there was kind of, uh, particularly because of the banks and all the marketing they'd done, there was almost this trust around the space, right? So right. when we started off, nobody knew about it, and to when we started piloting, people had a sense of yeah. what this was all about. So that was that was kind of a big hurdle that was solved on our behalf and some nice last loop advantage. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, the reaction uh, from, uh, from, from the merchants. So, you know, we now have uh, 9,000 plus uh, uh, merchants on the platform um, and we're adding close to 1,000 a month now. 
Um, the most important thing about this number is that 70% plus had never accepted card payments before. It's one of our key variables. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Um, and we actually want to grow that variable. You know, we're in the business of creating a market, uh, yeah. not, not cannibalizing one, right? right. Um, and so we're speaking to a, a cohort or a segment of the market that's never really been spoken to before, right? Like, people aren't really building products for small businesses. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So... That's been quite fascinating for us, like, you know, delivering a product that's been built bottom-up for a segment that's never been spoken to before. Um, and, you know, it's been a long answer to your question, but, like, I think what I'm trying to get to here is um, it's been really positive, right? You know, 9,000-plus uh, entrepreneurs that knew nothing about each other or now sitting on a, on a platform uh, were entrepreneurs too, were also an SME. Yeah. And like often the problems we solve internally are things that we productize and we offer to our merchants, right? Around automation and all this type of stuff. Um, and yeah, you know, there's sort of the, the, the card acceptance, the electronic payments, but then we're taking a lot of these businesses from pen and paper, uh, Excel at best, through to the cloud, right? They're using like a cloud-based uh, software as a service solution that's connected to a piece of hardware. Yeah. Um, and they're really embracing it, right? Um, and that's exciting for us because, once again, you know, this was a, um, a previously ignored sort of dark segment of the, the economy. And now we're showing that it's real and that it's active. And, you know, South Africa's economy just slipped into recession now. Um, and, you know, when we look at our merchants, they're great, right? Um, and it's because they're relevant to their communities. So... They're, 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 they're offering you know relevant products and services they're dynamics they're resilient they employ um, we, we really believe in this uh, part of the economy right absolutely uh, I mean you know to me it's what's still exciting to uh, it's the fact that you you know I was always thinking about well why don't the uh, small merchants have cut payments especially because of the security problem that I mentioned because I used to have a friend of mine who had a store like that and then you know growing but then he always had problems with um, robbery and stuff like yeah. that you know cash you know so right now he is on the platform and it's cool that he can you know like that problem completely eliminated also what's also interesting is like um, your friend is now developing a digital footprint uh, yeah. for his business oh yeah, yeah right sure. um, and that's going to have a lot of currency um, in the future, right? Uh, when he has to get a loan or whatever, this data, this information, yeah, this yeah. history, this this track record. Absolutely. And that's the stuff that excites us. Oh, yeah, sure. Just to clear to the people listening, then, instead of keeping books or you know, writing down Correct. what he has to do, it's it's hard and also, also it's pretty tough for the organization to actually approve things like that, whereas you can just bring... You know, a spreadsheet from you guys or exactly. whatever documents uh, they can get and get whatever they, they need to to get from there. So, how did you move then from uh, after you uh, the whole setup was made? Yeah. How did we, did you switch with the hard? How did you come up with the hardware and the software team and stuff like that? Yeah. So, look, all the stuff started from the four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. There were four distinct verticals that we, we needed to incubate. Um, on my side, it was operations and customer experience. Right. Um, and you know, like org design, you know, how we were structured as a business. Um, on Bradley's side, uh, he's an actuary, so he was looking at data and risk. Um, 
Lungisa, um, you know, technology and product uh, and column commercial. Right. And sort of uh, out of these four nodes um, and, and our customer journey, which we sort of uh, drew out in a picture very early on, almost before we did anything else, uh, we were able to design an organization around this picture. And we still do right now, right? Sort of everyone coming in is adding uh, or in enhancing or driving a touch point on the customer journey. Right? And everyone, uh, we don't have any um, sort of concept as a, or we don't have a support function in Yoko. Everyone is customer orientated at all levels, whether it's finance or the people team, whatever. It's wow. all about the customers, yeah. Uh, what's, what's the point otherwise, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's what a business is there for. It's there to serve its customers and hopefully extract some value and grow um, and um, ensure that everyone's really orientated around this. So that's helped us to, to build things in the right way. Um, and um, I guess, yeah, you know, the team now is uh, sitting at about uh, 60 full-time people, maybe 70 if you have sort of add in the interns and the part-timers and the like. Um, so the team is starting to grow quite quickly. Uh, but once again, uh, this is all orientated around the customer journey, which has been very helpful. And like, did you grow up here? Right. So yeah, I was I was born in Johannesburg, um, and then I moved to Cape Town when I was four years old, mm. and then we moved to the to the US uh, with my family. Uh, actually, like a few months later after that, um, we spent two years there on the East Coast, so uh, uh, Cambridge, uh, Princeton, and then we moved back to Cape Town. Um, spent a few years here and then we moved to Palo Alto in California uh, spent just over a year there um, I went to high school in Pretoria uh, and then I went to ECT I started my career in Johannesburg um, you know uh, worked quite a bit across the continent um, and then I spent uh, my last bit of my consulting career in Dubai just under a year there um, and uh, yeah so I've been darting around a lot I think Sort of on average, I've been moving around every five years since I was a kid. Um, but yeah, you can sort of hear that Cape Town uh, is the place I kept coming back to. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense that we started a company here. Um, and um, yeah, those are kind of my roots. And uh, why did you have to move to, to the, the US? Uh, you know, academic parents. Um, so, you know, uh, mom studying, uh, dad on sabbatical. Um, those are the main reasons, yeah. And at UCT, what did you study? Uh, I studied um, business science. Uh, I majored in information systems. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you, so you got involved with Rocket Internet at one point, yeah? Yes. So that was after my consulting career. Um, and just before I uh, started the entrepreneurial path, uh, it wasn't long. It was like less than less than six months. But at Rocket, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that's where I met Bradley. Uh, we did a uh, we did a startup in Nigeria, uh, uh, business uh, called Jumia. Um, so we're part of the core team that set that up. Um, and then, what did you want to become when you when you were you was younger? Did you want to become an entrepreneur? No, I never thought about it at all. Uh, you know, if you went sort of to me a couple of years ago and said I was going to be an entrepreneur, I would have scoffed, right? Yeah. Um, but then, I guess, kind of re reflecting, um, you know, I had quite an eclectic uh, childhood, um, sort of moving around, having to adjust to new environments, and you know, absorbing a lot. Um, 
And this is one of my key skills right now, right? Uh, you know, being able to sort of look around, assess, and, and understand, you know, how to how to get things done. Um, and um, I guess, yeah, that sort of eclectic uh, background, a um, bit of the Silicon Valley, some some non-linear thinking, uh, always made me uh, probably not the best fit uh, for sort of long-standing institutions. Um, and um, right. yeah, I, I clicked at some point that I just needed to build my own space in order yeah. to thrive. Um, and that was a big driver, right? Um, I think. Uh, something I'm really proud of uh, at Yoko is how uh, we've we've taken diversity uh, in, in the workplace as a as a source of competitive advantage, uh, not not something to be complied to. Yeah. Um, you know, in the team, uh, we naturally, uh, as a collective, think about our environment in 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 the way that it functions. Right? Uh, we don't have to contrive understanding our world um, and that's a huge advantage so that was an experiment for me that I wanted to run and I'm, I'm super happy to see it working um, you know we build relevant things uh, it's because we're diverse in the inside yeah. okay so uh, one thing that I picked up of you saying that you not you know, um, they actually static space isn't really uh, your game to, to stay at one place for, for quite a long time yeah so for a person who is exactly like you, for example, in that sense, then how do you design Yoko as an environment that would sustain that kind of person? Um, is that accommodated? For sure. So I think it starts in your operating model, uh, the way you set up. You know, the moment you set up the typical tree structure with reporting lines and uh, silos, um, you're going to keep everyone where they belong. Um, We've designed the company to almost function in rings and circles, right? So, uh, or domains. Um, and as a result, you know, a domain can appear and it can disappear. It can stay, it can metast- it can become whatever, anything can become whatever it needs to. At the center of it all is the customer journey. Um, and, um, you know, as an example, um, last year I set up a team called Expansion, um, which I hit up. And its sole responsibility is to uh, break into new markets. Um, and... As an example, that's allowed me to uh, remain energized in something that's important, right? So, you know, starting new things, building, uh, incubating, you know, and moving on to the next. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of other examples like this uh, in, in the company where there's just so much agility in, in what needs to happen um, yeah. that, you know, people can really do uh, what, what, what they want or what they need to do as long as it's orientated around the customer journey. Yes. Yeah. And um, with your experience in the corporate what would you say you have learned there, or um, what do you think you wouldn't have known if you didn't go there uh, now, looking at your at the moment? So it's two things. Um, I learned two things. So, um, you know, on, on sort of the positive uh, side is, you know, how to be polished um, and to ensure that whatever you putting out to presenting just like shines right and like really glistens and it's easy to understand and well communicated so I think that environment um, can really teach you that and you know when you have the amount of stakeholders that we do whether it's investors uh, you know uh, partners uh, uh, at all suppliers vendors at at all levels um, 
you know, recruiting, this is very important, right? Um, you know, what people see and perceive is, becomes the truth. Um, and what you want is that to reflect what's really going on inside the organization, right? You don't want there to be a delta uh, in that because you didn't sort of present something properly or you didn't take the time to, to, to really buff something. So that's on the positive side. Um, on the other side is learning what not to do, right? right? Which is just as important. In fact, I think I've actually derived a lot of my, my lessons from that, right? So sort of... Um, how not to treat people like cogs, um, how to sort of allow people to play to their strengths and not to kind of sort of focus on their weaknesses. That's, I think, completely irrelevant, right? Um, you know, everyone has some sort of unique contribution to make um, and it's your job to understand what that is and where that fits into the organization. Um, uh, you know, sort of hopping on about what somebody doesn't know or what they're not good at, it's just a waste of time. So, yeah, I think kind of these are some of the things. Um, and then also just uh, treating people like adults. It sounds obvious, but I, I really get surprised uh, at um, how often uh, within institutions, like this is sort of uh, nanny babying, you know, you arrive at this time, you leave at this time, you eat lunch at this time, uh, you do this, you do that. Um, and then uh, what's ultimately happening is that the organization is designing its uh, guidelines and policies around the five the bottom five percent and, and applying it to the whole to the whole team um, and then you know, if you treat people like children they'll start acting like children right um, and uh, you start sort of the self-perpetuating uh, cycle yeah. um, we are very clear that we treat everyone uh, like an adult um, and if somebody doesn't want to behave like one, uh, it's not the right organization for them, but the company's not going to change for them, right? Um, so that's been exciting for me to see, once again, that materialize. Uh, you know, even the most junior person really being mature, acting like an adult, looking after themselves, being self-directed. Um, and then when you have that uh, sort of uh, mindset uh, embedded, um, you start seeing pockets of innovation uh, yes. at all levels of the business. It's not just sort of uh, centered uh, towards uh, um, sort of a, a, a few people or senior level positions. But people are just like really uh, taking grip of uh, where they're going and, and it's, it's great to see. And I also think it really um, uh, resonates uh, quite a lot with millennials, right? Um, they, they don't want to be told how to do something they just want to know what the goal is and they can they can figure out the rest um so yeah uh, yeah that sounds like a company that most millennials <laughs> want to work for <laughs> um and then what do you say were the moments that i don't know i don't want to call them dark moments that sound harsh but like yeah that made you almost feel like oh is this really gonna happen or you know one of those um it's a couple there's lots they never stop um, so you know in, in the early days it was um, not knowing whether we'd get the license and we only knew sort of nine months in that we were going to get it so we could have failed before we even started and we could have wasted nine months of my life so what were you doing in the nine months um, basically preparing, you know, we had to submit quite a lot of uh, information uh, for the due diligence at the bank. Um, so that took a lot of work. Um, and we were self-funded at the time. Um, but yeah, you're kind of 
always staring failure in in, in the face, and you like and just even like conceiving of this idea that failing before you even starting uh, is just like a lot to bear. So that was one, and then and then we got the license, and then the VC that was supposed to invest in us pulled out uh, almost like a few days later. Uh, yeah. Right, um, and they pulled out, and we're like, geez, we're screwed, right? Um, I remember that, but then, yeah, we just ended up going with Angels, and that's actually worked out much, much better. Um, right. And then, what else? Um, uh, those kind of sort of being lost to market, being, well, you know, we're really late on this one. Uh, but then realizing, actually, uh, we can learn from everyone else's mistakes, right? Um, and then... What else? Um, man, this, yeah, this tons more. I mean, uh, getting rejected during fundraising. There was just, there was so many, like, difficult moments. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like, once again, when you consider things over the long term, um, you sort of, instead of, like, sort of uh, trying to catch the highs and wallow in the lows, but just really focusing on, 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 on remaining even-minded in the middle, even with the good and the bad, like you can write out the stuff. Right. Yeah. So then if, you know, entrepreneurship seems like it's something that there's no an aha moment, you know. Mm-hmm. I think working on a, on a, in a huge organization, you might want to be, get uh, promoted. If you do that, it feels like, okay, I'm here. But entrepreneurship feels like it's some, it's constantly gone, mm-hmm. you know. So there's no rest time almost. Yeah. In, in sense of like, you never feel, com- I don't, it's like safe enough or comfortable enough. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay sane? Like, because that's kind of a, a very lonely thing. Because it's you, you're the only person doing that. Eh? Yeah. Well, it's. I think it's probably the biggest challenge in entrepreneurship, to be yeah. honest. And the thing that sort of nobody can really warn you about, right? Um, but in terms of staying sane, I think the trick is never getting too excited. Right. Right, because. You know, uh, falling from a from a peak to a low is a much longer drop than falling from the middle sure. to the to the bottom, um, and and vice versa, right? Like sort of going from from a low to the to 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 the middle uh, is a much easier step than trying to move from a low to a super high. It's very dangerous. So you really just got to keep your emotions in check constantly. Um, and when you do that, like, and not get carried away by, by, by the winds, um, you, you can keep yourself going. I'm not saying it's the supreme answer, but I think, you know, one of the, 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 the big challenges I've seen uh, in sort of um, in contemporary thinking around entrepreneurship is there's almost there's so much content around it now, and there's so much hype, uh, there's blogs and, you know, meetups and all these things. And uh, these things, uh, unfortunately, give the illusion that like this is a template, right? Yeah. Um, or there's a framework, framework, and you follow this framework, everything will be good. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of you take that and you uh, you add uh, this sort of lean startup um, um, mantra, which has completely been like uh, taken. Um, to the wrong level, right? Um, you know, there's a difference between testing something and building something, um, and you know, and delivering a product. And what what ends up happening is that you you have this, you know, startup as a framework uh, construct, and then you have 
this yeah just get it out there um you know fail fast uh, you know just just keep going like learn and then you know as a business you just end up in this like uh, perpetual like uh, sense of just doing and getting it out there and you don't take a step back right um and then you're like but I, I followed everything but i you know the customers like it and but yeah the thing you built for 10 customers is not or you tested with 10 customers it's not robust enough for a you know a thousand or ten thousand, right? Um, so I think um, there's no simple answers to these things, and if there were, then everyone would be doing it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the kind of yeah, I've been concerned about how like all these things have just been reduced to these steps that you need to take. It's, yeah. It's not like that. Ten, ten, ten steps to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really doesn't work like that, right? right. Um, and, you know, anyone listening, um, you know, you have to figure out the stuff. But in figuring out the stuff, this is how you come up with what makes your venture unique, right? right. That's your secret sauce. Um, that's what actually what you're developing. Um, you, you can't import that. <laughs> sure. And then um, for, for the people who might want to get involved with Yoko. I don't know if you, you ever look, you're, still, you're always constantly looking for your talent and stuff like that. Yeah. What are the traits that you look for? It's uh, a good question. Um, so we love, um, uh, first and foremost, people passionate about customers, passionate about SMEs, um, you know, who believe that SMEs are the, are the future of commerce uh, in, in this region and beyond, right? So that's, that's a starting point. Um, the next one is um, somebody who's a self-starter, uh, so self-directed, um, you know, kind of looking to be um, uh, enabled, not directed, right? You know, somebody who can just take a goal and they'll figure out how to how to get to that to that next point. Um, and then, I guess you know, somebody uh, who's just generally respectful. Um, you know, we really value respect at our company, um, and you know, permeates at all levels, right? It's respect to our customers, to your teammates, uh, to our partners. Um, if you have that as a core thing, um, it makes everything easier. Like it facilitates bonds, it facilitates trust. And once you have those baseline sort of things in place, then you can get to the good stuff, right? Uh, it's kind of the the, the 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 plumbing before the poetry um, and we see trust as a as a, as a as core plumbing uh, in in any organization yeah cool so I have a two side question after that mm. then how do you assess those for when hiring and also how can some somebody present that to you because well for most companies still still a checkbox okay is there this you know uh, check documents check ABC then done yeah uh, which doesn't Prove to be always effective. You know? So, I guess um, something that we try to prioritize is like what we call keeping it in the family. Um, so, really encouraging staff uh, to refer uh, people within their network. Um, you know, people that they know, people that they've vetted. That that really helps, right? Uh, because you kind of instantly know that uh, from a cultural standpoint, you've actually taken. Uh, You've, you've ticked off uh, a box so that's really key um, and then I guess you know in terms of our interview process um, you know we typically you know have a sort of first round getting to know the person hearing their background etc and really they're what you're looking um, 
to you're looking out for is uh, honesty. Um, you know, somebody being quite frank about you know how they've progressed and what's gone right and what's gone wrong. Are they volunteering that information or sort of are they trying to steer the conversation? Yeah. Um, um, and then, and then what's also been interesting for us is. Um, you know, we, we we run what's known as a strength finder, uh, so it's a Gallup strength finder, and you know, simple assessment um, which basically uh, looks at you know across four categories of execution, relationship, um, uh, thinking, and, and influencing. Uh, what are somebody's top five uh, unique strengths, and there are thirty-four of them, um, and very cool uh, thing that we run. And it just gives us a hint into somebody's personality and what energizes them, yeah. right? And what's good about that is that, you know, if somebody's interviewing for an operations role, uh, you're typically looking for somebody with good execution, you know, good relationship, uh, bonus if they have extra thinking skills. Um, and, and then sort of you have that nice checkbox and then we do, uh, we do a case study. Yeah. And for me, case studies are very revealing. Um, you know, we make the case study relevant um, and you really get an insight into how somebody thinks, how they structure their work, how they present their work, um, the level of care, um, how seriously they take the process. So, like, for me, the case study is super defining um, in terms of uh, the person. And then in terms of the final round, um, we, uh, we, 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 we get sort of almost a culture police uh, to, to, to start looking at uh, the candidates, right? Like, Ask them more broader questions around why, why they, why do they want to work at the organization? So it's not a foolproof uh, system, um, but you know it's actually something we're really investing a lot into, right? Like into our, our recruiting process, uh, we've brought it all in house, um, and yeah, we're looking at it over the long term, and we really want it to be something great. Cool. So somebody, a CEO of a company, once told me that, well, it's hard to assess. Uh, a job of a CEO so I, I didn't understand it then but now I start to, to feel like I start to look at it as when a software engineer write a few lines of code mm. and make get something to work properly yeah. that's a good day for him, for him. You know, he's going to mark it as a happy day yeah. for you your job is more like enabling people or the organization to kind of you know work and uh, do the right things mm-hmm. That's pretty much hard to assess on a daily basis, for example, you know, because it, it, it takes a good amount of time for you to be able to see something working. So yeah. how do you... Yes and no. I think, you know, in the past that used to be the case because data used to sit in pockets mm-hmm. and then, you know, people had to mine it and then they presented a retrospective view of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, man, like, you know, with, uh, with the cloud, um, uh, data is no longer... Um, uh, privilege, right? Uh, it's no longer something you have to bring in a consulting firm to do a multi-million-dollar project to, to to activate for you, and even then, it's still retrospective. Um, so, in our in our organization, we have real-time data um, uh, across our whole customer lifecycle, and as a result, you can tell f- almost instantly whether something's working or not. Right. So that's that's one, and then. And the next thing is like data transparency, right? So, um, you know, can other teams see what other teams are producing and what the indicators are and that's happening too? Um, and then, so that's, that level of transparency is also just change management, right? It's, you know, you're no longer like, uh, you know, putting your arm around somebody and telling them that, okay, you know, just keep going. The numbers speak for themselves. 
and you're having a very sort of coaching like hey how can we get this to the right place type discussions and very problem problem solving right we've seen the problem like now how do we how do you ramp this up to the next level right. so that's a big difference um and then on 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 the team itself and cohesion and, and engagement and all these things once again data plays a big role uh, we we use a tool called office vibe um which um uh, once a week uh, asks uh, every member of the team uh, a single question around their engagement right, right. Um, and they answer it and they complete a survey they can you know make an anonymous comment and this aggregates uh, all this information uh, into a, a, a sort of an aggregate score um, and we can actually see like internally as a company like how we're how we're doing what's the mood like you know and you for instance, if there's a lack of alignment on something, you'll start seeing the comments coming in, like, I don't understand why this is happening, or I'd like to know more details about this, and then we can very quickly uh, address uh, uh, whatever needs to happen. So data has changed everything, and so is the internet, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a question of how you use it. And for sure, Joko, uh, the golden thread, um, whether it's our customers, our customer journey, or employee lifecycle, uh, is data. So it's now more about making decisions quickly. I guess. Correct, correct. So making decisions quickly, it's about you know being responsive, right? Um, uh, it's it's amazing when you're looking at what's happening right now, yeah. Not what happened, right? right. It's very different. Um, and I guess you know this is probably one of the the most challenging things for for traditional organizations, especially larger ones, right? Is this is what they're going to be competing against and this is how they need to start tooling themselves yeah. because this is the new reality um, and then I guess the you know there's all this talk about artificial intelligence right yeah. and machine learning and the like and that's the next evolution so you know we're looking at what's happening right now and we're having to make decisions um, in the not too distant future uh, 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 machines will be doing that for us and for us um, you know if we're not starting to think about starting to put real plans we'll get wiped out sure. right so we're already like starting to think what's coming to disrupt us and it's definitely around uh, around this topic sure so what's your daily routine like that what's the first thing you do first when you wake up <laughs> the very last thing um so first of all i try not to keep a routine um it's just doesn't work for my mind um so no one no two days are the same for me um and uh that's once again an insight from my my corporate days drove me crazy right um it just didn't inspire creativity yes. um but yeah i guess sort of uh, a typical day is coming in um you know uh, looking at my messages making sure that like i'm not blocking anything obviously a few decisions flow uh, uh through me and the last thing i ever want is to be a roadblock in anything that's sort of one of my number one priorities is to ensure that I'm being responsive to people waiting on stuff from me. Um, and then, yeah, I guess sort of looking at performance from the previous day, how things are going, um, you know, and just generally ensuring that there's alignment, right? That's my number one job is ensure that the teams are aligned. Um, and I'm very passionate about um, organization design. Um, and that's probably one of the things I spend most of the time thinking about, like, are we structured um, to deliver the greatest custom experience yeah. um, and that in turn drives a uh, uh, bottom line um, but um, yeah and at the, at the end of the day do you have like 
it set in time that you stop like say okay uh, maybe if you, if you minutes before this no <laughs> no it never stops man but what what time do you typically go to bed ah uh, like uh, midnight 1am yeah. yeah and wake up waking up um, I'm typically up uh, around 7am okay yeah cool. yeah so Hey man, it's like you have to, you have to do it. Yeah. Okay, and this is unrelated, probably, but, but uh, what do you think of cryptocurrency? Do you have any insights on that? Um, no insights uh, per se. Uh, I think it's an interesting space. Um, I think, you know, this, this kind of this, 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 the currency itself and the store of value, um, and then. There's the there's the payment facilitation, right? And uh, up until now, it's been sort of a, a trading store value yeah. uh, play. Uh, we often get asked like, what happens when this starts becoming a payment facilitation uh, play, and how does that impact us, right? Um, and our answer is uh, always the same: that we're not a card company, right? Um, uh, we're a merchant uh, acquisition platform. Um, we're a software company. Um, we've designed our platform to be agnostic of any particular digital payment type, right? right? We will always support whatever is relevant in a particular market. So, you know, here is card because of card penetration amongst adults. Um, you know, in the rest of the continent, mobile money is real. We will integrate it into our platform. Um, whatever works, we, we don't mind, right? Uh, what we don't want is um, a situation where our merchants are having to uh, manually reconcile payments um, in, into the system. It's just a waste of time. Yes. And um, what does YOKO mean? Is it just a name? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so YOKO is an acronym for your commerce. All right. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Who yeah. <laughs> came up with that? Yeah. Um, so, once again, these things, like, iterate over time. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it just sort of started happening over time, and uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And who, how is your how close are you guys, like the co-founders? Are you like a buddy buddy type? Of yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've known each other a long time. We've been working a long time together. It's a great advantage, you know. Where like we just like we could be working on the most complex thing together. Um, Jointly, and we just have to say a few words to each other. We all know who's doing what and who's going to gravitate. It's really I enjoy it a lot. Like uh, I barely have to delegate to the guys, right. right? Because they know what they need to do, cool. and that's a that's a great position to be in, actually. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Uh, thanks for your time. Really Thank you. It. That's cool. Thank you. Right. Okay. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed and learned something from this. And if you found this helpful and you want to continue listening to the Grey F podcast, all you can do is subscribe and you can do that in many ways. Number one, being on iTunes, search the Grey F podcast and subscribe and you can give me a review, a five-star review, and uh, that will help a lot. And then you will get each and every episode coming up. You can do the same on SoundCloud if you're listening on SoundCloud. You can also do this on uh, Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. We're pretty much on every platform. And you can also do this directly from my website, which is www.greatjabesi.com. And from there, you find a sign-up form just immediately after you arrive on the website. Uh, you put in your email address, then you be on my email list. That means you also receive questions. 
uh, or e- special emails about what kind of questions can I ask the next coming guest, which is, I think, the best way to get involved in the, on the podcast. As well, keep in mind that you can download each and every episode that I've ever done here. We have done 50 episodes and listen to it on your own time. You can do that on all the platforms that I've mentioned and you can do it on your mobile device or on your computer. So stay awesome, stay unicorning, goodbye and good luck.